0: Chapter eighteen of Inside the Lines by Earl Biggers and Robert Ritchie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The trap is sprung Jane Gerson tossing on her pillows heard the mellow bell of a clock somewhere in the dark and silent house strike three. This was the fifth time she had counted the measured strokes of that bell as she lay wide-eyed in the guest-chamber's canopied bed. An eternity had passed since the dinner guest's departure. Her mind was racing like some engine gone wild, and sleep was impossible. Over and over again she had conned the events of the evening, always to come at the end against the impasse of General Crandall's blunt denial. You shan't sail in the morning. In her extremity she had even considered flight by stealth, the scaling of walls, perhaps, and a groping through dark streets to the wharf there to smuggle herself somehow on a tender and so gain the saxonia but her precious gowns they still reposed in their bulky hampers here in government house to escape and leave them behind would be worse than futile the governor's fiat seemed absolute urged by the impulse of sheer necessity to be doing something the bed had become a rack The girl rose, lit a taper, and began to dress herself, moving noiselessly. She even packed her travelling-bag to the last inch and locked it. Then she sat on the edge of the bed, hands helplessly folded in her lap. What to do next? Was she any better off dressed than thrashing in the bed? Her yearning called up a picture of the Saxonia, which must ere this be at her anchorage, since the consul said she was due at two in three short hours tenders would puff alongside a happy procession of refugees climbed the gangway among them the shermans and willie kimball bound for their the captain on the bridge would give an order winches would puff the anchor heave from the mud the big boat's prow slowly turn westward oceanward toward new york and she a prisoner caught by the mischance of war's great mystery would have to watch that diminishing column of smoke fade against the morning's blue. Disappear. Inspiration seized her. It would be something, just to see the Saxonia, now lying among the grim monsters of the war-fleet. From the balcony of the library, just outside the door of her room, she could search the darkness of the harbour for the prickly rows of lights marking the merchant ship from her darker neighbours the general's marine glasses lay on his desk she remembered to steal out to the balcony sweep the harbour with the glasses and at last hit on the ship of deliverance for all but her to do this would be better than counting the hours alone she softly opened the door of her room beyond lay the dim distances of the library suddenly become vast as an amphitheatre In the thin light filtering through the curtains, screening the balcony, appeared the lumpy masses of furniture and vague outlines of walls and doors. She closed the door behind her, and stood trembling. This was somehow like burglary, she felt, at least it had the thrill of burglary. The girl tiptoed around a high-backed chair, groped her way to the general's desk, and fumbled there. Her hand fell upon the double tubes of the binoculars. She picked them up parted the curtains, and stepped through the opened glass doors to the balcony. Not a sound anywhere, but the faint cluck and cackle of cargo hoists down in the harbour. Jane put the glasses to her eyes, and began to sweep the light-pointed vista below the cliff. Scores of pin-prick beams of radiance marked the fleet where it choked the roadstead, red and white Beetle's eyes in the dark. She swung the glasses nearer shore. Ah, There lay the Saxonia, with her three rows of glowing portholes near the water. The binoculars even picked out the double column of smoke from her stacks. Three brief hours, and that mass of shadow would be moving, moving! A noise, very slight, came from the library behind the open doors. The marine glasses remained poised in the girl's hands while she listened. Again the noise, a faint metallic click. She hardly breathed. Turning ever so slowly, she put one hand between the curtains, and parted them, so that she could look through into the cavernous gloom behind her. A light moved there, a clear round eye of light. Behind it was the faintest suggestion of a figure at the double doors, just a blur of white it was, but it moved stealthily, swiftly. She heard a key turn in a lock. Then swiftly the eye of light travelled across the library to the door leading to General Crandall's room. There it paused, to cut the handle of the door and keyhole beneath out of darkness. A brown hand slipped into the clear shaft of whiteness, put a key into the keyhole, and softly turned it. The same was done for the locks of Lady Crandall's door, on the opposite side of the library, and for the one Jane had just closed behind her, her own door then the circle of light seeming to have an intelligence all its own approached the desk flew swiftly to a drawer and there paused once more the brown hand plunged into the bore of light the drawer was carefully opened and a steel-blue revolver reflected bright sparks from its barrel as it was withdrawn jane hardly daring to breathe and with the heavy curtains gathered close so that only a space for her eyes was left open watched the orb of light, fascinated. It groped under the desk, found a nest of slender wires. There was a snick, snick, and the severed ends of the wires dropped to the floor. The burnished dial of the wall-safe, set near the double doors, was the next object to come under the restless searching eye. While light poured steadily upon the circular bit of steel, delicate fingers played with it, twisting and turning this way and that then they were laid upon the handle of the safe door and it swung noiselessly back a tapering brown hand white-sleeved fumbled in a small drawer withdrew a packet of papers and selected one jane stepped boldly into the room sahiba the white club of the electric flash smote her full in the face what are you doing at that safe jamir khan jane spoke as steadily as she could though excitement had its fingers at her throat, and all her nerves were twittering. She heard some sharply whistled foreign word, which might have been a curse. "'Something that concerns you not at all, sahiba,' the Indian answered, his voice smooth as oil. He kept the light fair on her face. "'I intend that it shall concern me,' the girl answered, taking a step forward. "'Very, very foolish, sahiba.' Jermier whispered, and with cat-like stride he advanced to meet her. "'Very foolish to come here at this time.' Jane, frozen with horror at the man's approach, dodged and ran swiftly to the fireplace, where hung the ancient vesper-bell. The flashlight followed her every move, picked out her hand as it swooped down to seize a heavy poker standing in its rack beside the bell. "'Sahiba, do not strike that bell!' The warning came sharp and cold as frost. Her hand poised over the bell, the heavy stub of the poker, a very few inches away from the bell's flare. "'To strike that bell might involve in great trouble one who is very dear to you, sahiba. Let us talk this over most calmly. Surely you would not desire that a friend, a very dear friend—' "'Who do you mean?' she asked sharply. "'Ah, that I leave to you to guess.' Jameer Khan's voice was silken, but certainly you know, Sahiba, a friend, the most important. Then she suddenly understood: the Indian was referring to Captain Woodhouse. Thus glibly, anger blazed in her. It isn't true, Sahiba. I am sorry to contradict. Jameer Khan had begun slowly to creep toward her, his body crouching slightly as a stalking cat's i'll prove it isn't true she cried and brought the poker down on the bell with a sharp blow like a tocsin came its answering alarm a thousand devils the indian leaped for the girl but she evaded him and ran to put the desk between herself and him he had snapped off the torch at the clang of the bell and now he was a pale ghost in the gloom fearsome hissing indian curses he started to circle the desk to seize her open this door open it i say it was the general's voice sounding muffled through the panels of his door he rattled the knob viciously jane tried to run to the door but the indian seized her from behind threw her aside and made for the double doors there his hand went to a panel in the wall turned a light switch and the library was on the instant drenched with light Jameer Khan threw before the door of the safe the bundle of papers he was clutching when Jane discovered him, and which he had gripped during the ensuing tense moments. Then he stepped swiftly to the general's door and unlocked it. General Crandall, clad only in trousers and shirt, burst into the room. His eyes leaped from the Indian to where Jane was cowering behind his desk. "'What the devil is this?' he rasped. Jane opened her mouth to answer, but the Indian forestalled her. The Sahiba general, I found her here before your opened safe. Good God, General Crandall's eyes blazed. He leaped to the safe, knelt, and peered in. A clever job, young woman, Jane, completely stunned by the Indian's swift strategy, could hardly speak. She held up a hand, appealing for a hearing general crandall eyed her with chilling scorn then turned to his servant you have done well Jamir." it 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 isn't true jane stammered the governor took a step toward her almost as if under impulse to strike her but he halted and his lips curled in scorn by gad working with woodhouse all the time eh and I thought you a simple young woman he had trapped, even warned you against him not six hours ago. What a fool I've been!" Jane impulsively stretched forth her arms for the mercy of a hearing, but the man went on implacably. "'I said he was making a fool of you, and all the time you were making one of me. Clever young woman. I say, that must have been a great joke for you, making a fool of the Governor of Gibraltar you make me ashamed of myself. And my servant, Jamir here. It is left to him to trap you while I am blind. Bah! Jamir, my orderly, at once. The Indian smiled sedately, and started for the double doors. Jane ran toward the general with a sharp cry. General, let me explain. Explain, he laughed shortly. What can you say? You come into my house as a friend. You betray me you break into my safe with woodhouse whom i'd warned you against directing your every move clever clever jamir do as i tell you my orderly at once jane threw herself between the indian and the doors one moment before he leaves the room let me tell you he lies your indian lies it was i who found him here before that safe a poor story the general sniffed i expected better of you after this the truth general crandall i couldn't sleep i came out here to the balcony to try to make out if the saxonia was in the bay he came into the room while i was behind these curtains locked the doors and opened the safe it won't go the general cut in curtly it's the truth it's got to go she cried jaimeer at a second nod from his master was approaching the double doors. Jane, leaping in front of them, pushed the Indian back. "'General Crandall, for your own sake, don't let this Indian leave the room. You may regret it, all the rest of your life. He still has a paper, a little paper, he took from that safe. I saw him stick it in his sash.' "'Nonsense!' "'Search him!' the girl's voice cracked in hysteria her face was dead white with hectic burning spots in each cheek i'm not pleading for myself now for you search him before he leaves this room jimmyr put strong hands on her arms to force her away from the door his black eyes were laughing down into hers let me ask him a question first general crandall before he leaves this room the governor's face reflected momentary surprise at this change of tack quickly, then,' he gruffly conceded. Jameer Khan stepped back a pace, his eyes meeting the girl's coldly. "'How did you come into the room when you found me here?' she challenged. The Indian pointed to the double doors over her shoulder. She reached behind her, grasped the knob, and shook it. "'Locked,' she announced. "'Why not?' Jameer asked. "'I locked them after me.' "'And the general's door was locked?' yes yes crandall broke in impatiently what's this got to do with did you lock the general's door she questioned the indian no sahiba you did and i suppose i locked the door to lady crandall's room and my door if they too are locked yes sahiba then why jane's voice quavered almost to a shriek why had i failed to lock the double doors the doors through which you came the indian caught his breath and darted a look at the general the latter eyeing him keenly stepped to his desk and pressed a button very good remain here jamir he said then to jane i will have him searched as you wish then both of you go to the cells until i sift this thing to the bottom general you wouldn't dare she stood aghast wouldn't i though we'll see whether a sharp click sent his head jerking around to the right. Jamir Khan, at the door to the general's room, was just slipping the key into his girdle after having turned the lock. His thin face was crinkled like old sheepskin. "'What the devil are you doing?' Crandall exploded. "'If the general Sahib is waiting for that bell to be answered, he need not wait longer. It will not be answered.' Jameer Khan purred. What's this? What's this? The wires are cut. Cut who did that? The general started for the yellow man. Jamir Khan whipped a blue barreled revolver out of his broad sash and levelled it at his master. Back, General Sahib, I cut them. The Sahibas story is true. It was she who came in and found me at the safe. My God, you, Jamir, you a spy the general collapsed weakly into a chair by the desk. "'Some might call me that, my general.' Jamir's weapon was slowly swinging to cover both the seated man and the girl by the doors. "'No need to search that drawer, General Sahib. Your pistol is pointing at you this minute.' "'You'll pay for this,' Crandall gasped. "'That may be. One thing I ask you to remember if one of you makes a move i will kill you both you are a gallant man my general is it not so then remember crandall started from his chair but the uselessness of his bare hands against the snub-nosed thing of blue metal covering him struck home he sank back with a groan keeping them both carefully covered jamir moved to the desk telephone at the general's elbow he took from his sash a small piece of paper the one he had saved from the packet of papers taken from the safe laid it on the edge of the desk and with his left hand he picked up the telephone an instant of tense silence broken by the wheezing of the general's breath then nine two six if you please yes yes who is this ah yes it is i jamir khan is all well with you good and bishop slain coming down the rock good also Crandall groaned. The Indian continued his conversation unperturbed. "'Very good. Listen closely. I cannot come as I have promised. There is work for me here. But all will be well. Take down what I shall tell you.' He read the slip of paper on his desk. Seven turns to the right, four to the left. Press. Two more to the left. Press. One to the right. You have that?' Allah speed you! Go quickly! Room D! Crandall had leaped from his chair. Correct, my general. Room D! Jamir smiled as he stepped away from the telephone, his back against the double doors. The sweat stood white on Crandall's brow. His mouth worked in jerky spasms. What? What have you done? he gasped. I see the general knows too well came the indian's silken response i have given the combination of the inner door of room d and the signal tower to a friend he is on his way to the tower he will be admitted one of the few men on the rock who could be admitted at this hour my general one pull of the switches in room d and where will england's great fleet be then you yellow devil crandall started to rush the white figure by the doors but his flesh quailed as the round cold muzzle met it he staggered back we are going to wait my general and you american sahiba who have pushed your way into this affair we are going to wait and listen listen the general writhed in agony jane fallen into a chair by the far edge of the desk had her head buried in her arms and was sobbing and we are going to think my general the indian's voice purred on while we wait we shall think who will general crandall be after to-night the english sahib who ruled the rock the night the english fleet was blown to hell from inside the fortress how many widows will curse when they hear his name what Khan? what have i ever done to you the governor's voice sounded hardly human his face was blotched and purple not what you have done my general what the english army has done an old score general thirty years old my father he was a prince in india until this english army took away his throne to give it to a lying brother the army the english army murdered my father when he tried to get it back called it mutiny ah yes an old score but by the breath of allah tonight shall see it paid The man's eyes were glittering points of white-hot steel. All of his thin white teeth showed like a hound's. "'You dog!' the general feebly wagged his head at the Indian. "'Your dog, my general! Five years, your dog, when I might have been a prince! My friend goes up the rock! Step, step, step! Closer, closer to the tower, my general! And Major Bishop, where is he?' ah a knife is swift and makes no noise what a fool i've been crandall rocked in his chair and passed a trembling hand before his eyes sudden rage turned his bloodshot eyes to where the girl was stretched sobbing across the desk your man the man you protected it is he who goes to the signal tower girl no no it can't be she whispered between the rackings of her throat it is only a member of the signal service could gain admittance into the tower to-night besides who was it went with bishop down the rock after the dinner to-night and i-i sent bishop with him sent him to his death he was tricking you all the time i told you he was i warned you he was playing with you using you for his own rotten ends using you to help kill forty thousand men it needed not the sledge-hammer blows of the stricken crandall to batter jane gerson's heart she had read too clearly the full story Jamir khan's sketchy comments had outlined she knew now captain woodhouse spy the indian was talking again his words dropping as molten metal upon their raw souls forty thousand men a pleasant thought my general eight minutes up the rock to the tower when one moves fast and my friend ah he moves very very fast eight minutes and four have already passed watch the windows the windows looking out to the bay general and sahiba they will flame like blood your hearts will stop at the great noise and then a knock sounded at the double doors behind jamir he stopped short startled all listened. Again came the knock. Without turning his eyes from the two, he guarded. Jamir asked, "'Who is it?' "'Woodhouse,' came the answer. Jane's heart stopped. Crandall sat frozen in his seat. Jamere turned the key in the lock, and the doors opened. In stepped Captain Woodhouse, helmeted, armed with sword and revolver at waist he stood facing the trio his swift eye taking in the situation at once crandall half rose from his seat his face apoplectic spy secret killer of men he gasped woodhouse paid no heed to him but turned to Jameer. quick the combination he said over the phone afraid i might not have it right stopped here on my way to the tower be there in less than three minutes if you can hold these people ''Everything is all right?'' Jameer asked suspiciously. ''You mean Bishop?'' ''Yes. Quick, the combination!'' Jamir picked the slip of paper containing the formula from the edge of the desk with his disengaged left hand, and passed it to Woodhouse. The latter stretched out his hand, grasped the Indians with a lightning move, and threw it over so that the latter was off his balance, In a twinkling, Woodhouse's left hand had wrenched the revolver from Jamir's right, and pinioned it behind his back. The whole movement was accomplished in half a breath. Jamir Khan knelt in agony, and in peril of a broken wrist at the white man's feet, disarmed, harmless. Woodhouse put a silver whistle to his lips, and blew three short blasts. A tramp of feet in the hallway outside, and four soldiers with guns filled the doorway. "'Take this man!' Woodhouse commanded. The Indian, in a frenzy, writhed and shrieked. "'Traitor! English spy! Dog of an unbeliever!' The soldiers jerked him to his feet and dragged him out. His ravings died away in the passage. Woodhouse brought his hand up in a salute as he faced General Crandall. "'The other spy, Almer, of the Hotel Splendide, has just been arrested, sir.' Major Bishop has taken charge of him, and has lodged him in the cells. A high-pitched scream sounded behind Lady Crandall's door, and a pounding on the panels. Jane Gerson, first to recover from the shock of surprise, ran to unlock the door. Lady Crandall, in a dressing-gown, burst into the library, and flung herself on her husband. "'George! George! What does all this mean? Yells! Whistling!' General Crandall gave his wife a pat on the shoulder, and put her aside with a mechanical gesture. He took a step toward Woodhouse, who still stood stiffly before the opened doors. The dazed governor walked like a somnambulist. "'Who, who the devil are you, sir?' he managed to sputter. "'I am Captain Cavendish, General.' Again the hand came to stiff salute on the visor of the pith helmet captain cavendish of the signal service stationed at khartoum but lately detached for special service under the intelligence office in downing street the man's eyes jumped for an instant to seek jane gerson's face found a smile breaking through the lines of doubt there your papers to prove your identity crandall demanded still in a fog of bewilderment i haven't any general crandall the other replied with a faint smile or your Indian, Jimir Khan, would have placed them in your hands after the search of my room yesterday. I've convinced Major Bishop of my genuineness, however, after we left your house and when the moment for action arrived. A cable to Sir Ludlow's service, in the Downing Street office, will confirm my story. Meanwhile, I am willing to go under arrest if you think best." "'But—but—I don't understand. Captain... Cavendish you posed as a german as an englishman briefly general a girl secretly in the pay of the downing street office louisa schmidt josepha the cigar girl whom you ordered locked up a few hours ago is the english representative in the wilhelmstrasse at berlin she learned of a plan to get a german spy in your signal tower a month before war was declared reported it to london and I was summoned from Khartoum to London to play the part of the German spy. At Berlin, where she had gone from your own town of Gibraltar to meet me, she arranged to procure me a number in the Wilhelmstrasse, through the agency of a dupe named Capper. "'Capper! Good Lord!' Crandall stammered. With the number I hurried to Alexandria. Woodhouse, Captain Woodhouse, from Wadihalfa, a victim poor chap to the necessities of our plan fell into the hands of the wilhelmstrasse men there and i gained possession of his papers the germans started him in a robber caravan of bedouins for the desert but i provided against his getting far before being rescued and the german agents there were all rounded up the day i sailed as woodhouse and you came here to save gibraltar and the fleet from german spies crandall put the question dazedly there were only two general almer and your servant jamere we have them now you may order the release of louisa Schmidt. the captain has overlooked one other the most dangerous one of all general crandall jane stepped up to where the governor stood and threw back her hands with an air of submission her name is jane gerson of new york and she knew all along that this gentleman was deceiving you she had met him in fact three weeks before on a railroad train in france the startled eyes of gibraltar's master looked first at the set features of the man then to the girl's flushed face little lines of humour crinkled about the corners of his mouth captain cavendish or woodhouse make this girl a prisoner your prisoner sir End of chapter 18